Amen. Amen. Good. Hope glad you're here and uh, won't be turning to Job, but you will be turning to James. So turn to James chapter three. Kind of uh, starting a series on toxic talk, which I think is it's very appropriate that having come out of Job, uh, which if you learned anything, it was that it was what Job said that got him in trouble. It's what his friends said that got him in trouble. It was words. And so we're going to look at tox, toxic talk uh, this uh, for the next few weeks. A man was working in the produce department, was asked by a lady if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. And he replied, a half a head? Are you serious? God grows these in whole heads, and that's how we sell them. You mean, she replied, that after all these years I've shopped, you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce? Look, he said, if you like, I'll ask the manager. And so she indicated that she would, uh, uh, would appreciate that. So the young man marched to the front of the store. You won't believe this. There's a lame braided uh, idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. And he noticed the man- manager gesturing and turned around to see that the lady standing behind him, obviously having followed him from the front of the store, And this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half, he concluded. So that's pretty smart, pretty smart work. Later in the day, the manager cornered the young man and said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet I've ever seen. Where'd you learn that? And the guy said, the young man said, I grew up in Grand Rapids. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know it's known for its great hockey team and its ugly women. The manager's face flushed and he interrupted, my wife is from Grand Rapids. To which the young man replied, and which hockey team did she play for? <laughs> so, our, our tongues can get us in trouble. Toxic talk. It's the number one biohazard on the planet is toxic talk. That's, that's the greatest danger, the greatest poison. What do I mean by toxic talk? Conversation that contains a poison causing serious harm or death. And the number one source of this toxic biohazard is the tongue. The tongue. That's what we're talking about. The tongue. The one muscle in your body that receives more exercise and less control than any other. Okay? Do you, do you agree with that? More exercise, less control. Okay? You don't, have, you don't have to work out your tongue. You're already doing that. Medically, it's only a two-ounce slab of muscle mucous membrane, and nerves that enable us to chew, taste, swallow food, and articulate words. A two-ounce piece of muscle, basically. But relationally, it's a two-ounce, uncontrollable beast that's capable of unlimited destruction. It may very well be the the world's smallest weapon of mass destruction. And that's how you got to think about it. Your tongue is the world's smallest weapon of mass destruction. Universally, it's the number one source of the number one biohazard on the planet, toxic talk. Now, to start us out today, we're going to look at James chapter 3. But what I want to do initially is just uh, make three points that that will uh, get you see the relevance of this series, and it's this. Everybody has been poisoned with toxic talk. Everybody has been poisoned. And here's three uh, proofs of that. First of all, everybody spreads its deadly poison. Every one of us here 
is guilty of spreading toxic talk. And to show that to you, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter uh, 1. Oh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Here is Paul's the conclusion of Paul's great discussion of the total depravity of all of humanity. And, and he's reaching the climax here in verse 9, and he says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. All of humanity is depraved. All of humanity are sinners. doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. It means that everything we do and everything that we touch is tainted by sin. Then he goes in and, quoting from the Old Testament, gives a description of this kind of unrighteousness, of what it is to be uh, everyone under sin. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Do you, do you, are you getting a pattern here? Okay. Then he goes in to describing what that awful depravity looks like of not seeking God, of being uh, separated. And look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, a poisonous snake, is under their lips. You see, here's he's describing, I just think this is interesting, that you're having this, this great argument of three chapters of how everybody's under sin. And when you go to describe it, he doesn't go to like murdering and, and uh, sexual immorality and, and the big sins, you know, that none of us here, you know, we don't do. He, he, he goes right to the mouth. Isn't that interesting? And so if we're all depraved, what's that mean? Every one of us spreads uh, the deadly poison of to toxic talk. In fact, 13 through 14 is paraphrased uh, this way. Their throats are great gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. And he's not talking about bad breath. He's talking about bad words. Okay? And only Jesus was sinless in relation to the mouth. Only Jesus was sinless. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now listen to this. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit, the very thing that we just read about, in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled did not revile in return. I think that's amazing that at the point where Jesus was the most falsely accused, at the place where he was about to endure the greatest amount of human as well as spiritual suffering that a person could imagine and do so innocently, he, he didn't say anything wrong. He didn't say anything wrong. I mean, I, I, I can't like hit my finger with a hammer and not be tempted to say the wrong thing. How about you? You know, I can't get stuck in traffic. I can't, I can't have really anything in my life not go the way I anticipated and not ha be tempted to something to come out of my mouth that shouldn't come out. What about you? A little toxic talk goes a long way. 
Uh, if you're in a restaurant and there's food poisoning or bad meats turning green at the meat counter, the rest of the meal or the food in the store may be wonderful, but that little bit of poisonous food ruins everything. When uh, Amber got involved with uh, volleyball, we had to take a, a food handling course with the city, which was very interesting. It makes you not want to eat out at all. But in this course, I, I learned something that I had violated, and, and again, it's what they said. Whether it's true, I don't know. But the point is, you know, when you open a, you ever open a, a loaf of bread and you find one piece that has a little mold on it? You ever done that? A little piece of slice of bread? What do you do? You throw it away, and then what do you do with the rest of it? You eat it, you eat it, yeah, it's nothing else, nothing. You look a little closer, at least I do. I, from then on, I look a little closer. This guy said, no, no, throw it all out because the green is just indicating it's already there everywhere. Okay? Everything is tainted. Everything is, needs to be thrown out. Suppose, suppose that the grocer takes an inventory and discovers that a small amount of meat has gone bad and is turning green. What should he do? What would you want him to do? You'd want him to do two things. Get rid of that bad meat immediately and start paying closer attention. Right? Start paying closer attention. Well, it's the same way in our talk. If there's just a little bit, if there's just a little bit in your conversation of toxic talk, then you need to identify it, get rid of it, but then what do you need to do? Pay better attention. Pay better attention to how you talk. So, Everybody here needs to apply this. All of us do. And some of us may just have 1% or 2% of toxic talk in our typical day. Others may have 50 60 70%, and, and we just have a problem in that area. But the point is we all have a problem, and just that little bit that you have or I have contained and needs to be identified and eliminated and pay better attention. Less than... Listen, less than 1% of a person's word inventory can ruin the effect of all the rest. We may be gracious in 99% of what we say, but if there's a toxic streak in our words, it will spoil the rest. So we need to identify that 1, 2, 5, 10%, get rid of it, pay close attention, lest it ever return to poison others. So that's the first point. Everybody spreads it. Number two everybody's been poisoned to some degree. So not only do we spread the poison, but every one of us has been poisoned by the toxic talk of others. Proverbs 12, 18. This is a great memory verse that we'll talk about in a moment uh, at the end of the lesson. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Does your tongue hurt? and cut like a sword or is it the the tongue of the, the that's like the scalpel of a surgeon that it may cut but it cuts to heal and it cuts for good how many people right here and don't raise your hand or anything but how many of us right here in this room remember being told as a kid that you were stupid that you were ugly that you were fat that you would never amount to anything. You know, the sad reality is, and it's, and it's ironic, is it not, and, and, and really tragic, that from our parents or our grandparents or significant people in our lives that we would hear these kind of things. And yet, a lot of people have grown up and they've been poisoned. And, and, and the poison is deadly. And the poison can last for a very, very, very long time. 
One husband said every time he gets in an argument with his wife, she gets historical. And his friend said, don't you mean hysterical? And he said, no, I mean historical. She brings it up, everything I've ever said in the past. And that's, that's, that's again, the poison being poisoned by toxic talk. So, number three. A third truth I want you to see as we get into this series is that everybody's better at diagnosing toxic talk in others rather than themselves. Okay, everybody's better at, at diagnosing, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be saying that versus, you know what? I shouldn't be saying that. All right? Are, are you, do you agree with me on that? What I say is truth, and it was said to help you. What you said was twisted, and it was only meant to hurt me or others. So we're going to define toxic talk in this series. We're going to look at different ways, different poisons, and we're going to uh, let God detox our talk uh, first and foremost. Our talk, not so much the talk of others. Our talk. That's the place to begin. Now, James 3, uh, if you're there, James 3, verses 1 through 12 is a classic text on the toxology of toxic talk. Toxology is the study of poisons. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to study the poisons of toxic talk. So i got two truths from James I want you to see. First one is this. The power of toxic talk is illustrated. We're going to look at five illustrations. And when we're done looking at the illustrations and seeing the power of, of, of the tongue to poison our lives... We're then going to look at the priority of daily detox is explained. And so let's take a look, first of all, at the power of the tongue. The power of toxic talk. It's illustrated in James 3 through 12. We're going to see five illustrations. Let's look at it. Number one, the tongue has the power to direct our entire lives. The tongue has the power to direct our entire lives. Let's look at James chapter well, let's begin chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 1, and we'll read down through 5, the first part of verse 5. Look at James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now... Now, here's the first illustration. The tongue has the power to direct our entire lives. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. So let's look at the, at the illustration. The first illustration is the bit and the rudder. And notice uh, the emphasis here is not on the bit and the rudder. It's on, the emphasis is on the person behind the bit and the rudder. Did you see that? It's not that the, the bit and the rudder can't do anything unless it's directed. Notice what it says in verse 4 or verse 3. Look, we put bits in the horses' mouths so that they will obey us. We direct their entire body with that little 
little piece of metal there in their mouths. And then look at verse 4. Look at ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder. That's like the tongue. But wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now, we're going to get... We're going to see why that's important, but I just want you to see the emphasis is controlling something very big with something very small. Now, here's the point. What we say, what we say or don't say, or even how we say it, determines the direction of our entire lives and the lives of other people. Our missionary in Germany, Keith Gandy, once told me that you will not be effective if you preach in a loud and boisterous voice uh, in Germany. And the reason was, was because Hitler led the entire nation down a path of destruction with his toxic talk that was delivered in this very way. So you've got a whole culture that reacts. So like what, what we would see in, a, in America or in certain uh, portions of Christianity is as God powerful preaching, you know, uh, banging the pulpit or, or really being passionate, they would just turn off and say, oh, this is deadly. This led us down the wrong path. Now, what's interesting about that is over 60 years later, the tongue of one man is influencing a whole culture. Six, over 60 years later, there's still, because of the way one man communicated, and if you watch the, the specials on, on World War II, his speech was mesmerizing. But even if you didn't agree with him, you, you would, it, it was just an amazing ability to, be, to direct things, destructive things. And that's what we see in the second illustration. The tongue has the power to destroy our entire lives. Not just direct them, but direct them in a destructive way. Look at the rest of verse 5 again. Look at verse 5 again in your Bibles. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Now, whenever I think of this, I always think of the Chicago Fire, the Great Chicago Fire that happened on October 8, 1871. At 9 p.m. on a Sunday evening, as the story goes, there is still some controversy, Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern as she was being milked, starting the Great Chicago Fire. So here's this cow, here's this barn. Just kick it over. Oh, start a little fire. Let's put that out. And the next thing you know, the whole city is in flame. Before being put out with gunpowder explosions, they had to like blow up uh, things to stop the spread of this fire. Uh, it burned uh, approximately four miles by one mile wide swath of the city. Left over 100,000 homeless, destroyed 17,000 buildings, 300 people lost their lives, and it's estimated 200 to 400 million dollars worth of damage. Now, why it happened was that uh, Chicago, which I didn't know this, Chicago was the lumber capital of the world, and it was built primarily of wood. The houses, the storefronts, the factories, even the sidewalks and streets were wood. So once this thing started, and not only that, but drought had plagued the region and all the wood was dry, brittle, and vulnerable. The fire enveloped the city's most ornate mansions and its humblest shacks. Gusts of wind, called fire devils, 
chunks of flaming wood, which uh, carried chunks of flaming wood called fire devils, which rapidly spread uh, spread the destruction. And that's kind of way our words. I I really like that word picture, fire devils, gusts of wind. We speak this little spark. And it, it, and it just sets on fire, and then the winds of other people's speech take what we say, and these chunks of flaming wood, these chunks of flaming words get spread around, and before you know it, there's a raging fire that's out of control. And here's a profound thing. This, this, this is the kind of stuff when you go on a writing sabbatical, you, you, you find. Nothing will cook your goose faster than a red-hot tongue. <laughs> I like that one. What... Wars have been claimed thousands of lives uh, but were started by just a few words. Marriages that once set sail on a joyous adventure have steered towards the rocks of divorce by the rudder of misguided words. In fact, in all the years of counseling I've done, I can't think of a single, single counseling problem that either started or was seriously increased by words. I mean, whatever it starts, it's there. That's just where it starts. So, whatever big problem you're you're dealing with or counseling, it's rooted in words. And who gets the brunt of our sharp tongue? Who gets the brunt? Well, sadly, who who gets the brunt of a sharp tongue? Typically, those who are what closest to you, your spouse, our kids. Ironically, the ones we are hurting the most typically is who? The ones that we love the most. People with sharp tongues end up cutting their own throats. So it's destructive. It directs our lives in a destructive manner. Here's the third uh, illustration. Taking that idea of fire devils, James says, yeah, this has to do with the demonic. Look at number three. The tongue has the power to defile our entire lives defile our entire lives. Look at verse 6. I mean, you can't get anything more vivid and more scary than to think about our words in relation to verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. Now, the word for hell there tells us uh, that it's a fire that's set on by hell. The word for hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna was the city garbage dump. We've mentioned this many times. It's the city garbage dump where human refuse was continually burned. Okay, so you went outside of Jerusalem, and they had the city dump, and you would throw your refuse, you would throw the the criminals that were crucified that nobody owned and nobody would care for. Dead bodies are there. The worms and the maggots are eating. It's unclean continually unclean, continually burning, and anyone associated with it becomes unclean, that's the tongue. That's the defilement that our words bring. Now, we don't think about this. We we just say things carelessly, and we don't think of the impact, spiritual impact, of what our words do, how careless we are. And let me, as I thought through this series... Something that wasn't as re- wasn't relevant when I have studied this passage in the past is that it's not just our words; it's our tweets, it's our texts, it's our Facebook status updates. 
I'm telling you, you don't have to befriend very many people who claim to be believers and not understand that the tongue is a fire set on by hell. And it's like, and, and I understand the temptation. You're there at a, in a front of a computer and you're isolated and you can feel like you can say anything and it makes you feel better because you get it off your chest. But now it's out there in the digital world setting things on fire and all you got to do is look at the, the comments and the reactions to it. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. It's just horrible. And it doesn't mean, I mean, second, we'll, we'll talk more. It's a world of iniquity that sets on fire the very course of, 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 of human lives. It is estimated that 250 people died per word of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf. Now, I haven't read it. And by the way, it's starting to be a, a top seller again in the world. And yet, I've studied enough to know that Hitler said everything that he was going to do was said in that book before he did it. Listen, words have power, they have meaning, and they make a difference. And they can, be, they can cost people their lives, and they can cost people their spiritual lives. He says, he says in this illustration in verse 6, the tongue is an entire network of sin is in our mouths. It's like an organized crime syndicate in your mouth. There's every type of, I mean, there's just, the tongue in your mouth is every possible sin. You name the sin, and somehow, some way, the tongue is involved. In fact, most sin could be avoided right at the mouth. Right at the mouth. You never murder someone that you don't first kill with your words. And you never commit immorality or adultery with a person that there isn't first the seduction of words. It's just that simple. James' point is that our toxic talk defiles not only our whole body, but our entire lives. Everything's tainted. You know, I think it's interesting on this point of how, how important our words are to our spiritual lives and, and, and cleanliness and defilement is when you go to Isaiah 6 and Isaiah sees God high and lifted up and his train of his robe filling the heavens. He sees the glory of God and, and he hears the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, royal angels surrounding him saying, Holy, holy, holy. And the first thing he says, look, I am, I am a sinful man of unclean lips. And the angel takes a coal from the altar of God and cleanses his mouth. The first place he goes, the first place he goes is the mouth. Wow. Now, the poison of toxic talk has the power to direct us, destroy us, and defile us. How can it do all this? Illustration number four, the tongue has the power to defy every human effort to control it. It has the power to defy every human effort that you can control. In fact, some of you may have been disappointed by this series topic because you're like, I've been there, tried that, and haven't done it yet. Still struggling with it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm discouraged at the even beginning of this because I haven't been, well, that's okay because no, nobody can. We've all failed and we will continue to fail because the tongue is an untamable beast. Look at seven and eight. 
For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Humans have put a lot of effort into taming animals. How many of you have seen a great animal taming show, right? Gentle Ben, Lassie, Flipper, Shamu, elephant soccer, chimps that communicate in sign languages, dogs that can bark jingle bells, dolphins that can shoot baskets better than I do. We've been able to do all that. But there's one beast that not even Ringling Brothers can tame. And what is it? Say it with me. The... The tongue, you got it. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I mean, that sounds like a snake, doesn't it, Gwen? I found some plates. Those of you that are, that are friends with me on, on Facebook, I found dinnerware. There is dinnerware with a snake. like a. It's like a skeletal of a snake. Kelly, right there. Anyway, I said, Gwen, look at that. I'll get that for Christmas for you. She wasn't impressed. But that's what we're talking about here. Unruly... Uh, Ted, in, in the regions of South America, there's a snake called the two-step snake. It bites you, and you take two steps, and you die. Okay? Its venom swiftly paralyzes your nervous system, which stops your heart. Listen, our toxic talk can be like the two-step snake. It has the potential to swiftly kill a relationship, paralyze love, poison minds, destroy faith, stain purity, and destroy reputations. But perhaps the most depressing problem with the tongue is the last one, number five. The tongue has the power to display the true condition of our hearts. It has the power to display the true condition of our hearts. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. Again, look at 9 through 12. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, and this is one of the most powerful understatements in the Bible, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening, from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? What do you say? Yes or no? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olive or a vine produce figs? What do you say? No. Nor can salt water produce fresh. Therefore, the same mouth that produces blessing, if it produces cursing, it can't be doing both. Now, that's bad news because that means that if I bless and I curse, then the true condition in my heart is one of cursing. Not blessing. Yeah, but look at all that. No, no, it can't both come. Can't both come. Wow. Thus, no spring can yield both salt, water, and fresh. It's amazing how quickly we can finish singing the last chorus on Sunday and then begin to complain about someone or something that we didn't like at church or begin to harp on our kids, right? I mean, we can sing and think about what you sing. Think about what you sing. In fact, that's, that's something that I did learn this week, studying 1 Timothy 3, 16, that the church confesses what we sing, and what we sing is what we confess. Are we really thinking about what we're singing? How can we bless God in our praise time or at the end? We always end our service with a praise chorus and then walk away and immediately start criticizing or complaining, and yet we do. 
In his book, The Behavior of Belief, the author tells this story. A large family sat around the table for breakfast one morning, and as the custom was, the father prayed for their food. And immediately afterward, however, he grumbled about the hard times, the poor quality of the food he was forced to eat, the way it was cooked, and much, much more. His little daughter interrupted him and said, Father, do you suppose God heard what you said a little while ago? Certainly, replied the dad with a confident air of an instructor. And did he hear what you said about the bacon and the coffee? Of course, the father replied, but no, not as confident as before. Then his little girl asked him again, Then, father, which did God believe? Which did God believe? My brethren, these things ought not to be. So here's the important truth. It's not our literal tongue that's the problem. What this point is telling us, it's not the literal tongue. It's the real culprit is the pilot that steers the rudder, the rider that holds the horse's bit, the source of the spring, the root of the tree. And what is that? It's our heart. That's the real culprit. It's all. And we know that verse. Out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. So remember, our physical tongue, as we go through the series, remember, our physical tongue is never the source of toxic talk. The source of toxic talk is our heart. Now, I want you to turn and let's read and hear from Jesus regarding these truths. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Turn your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 15. And let's look at verses 10 and 11. Matthew 15, verses 10 and 11. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man. We're talking about defilement of the tongue. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Now drop down to verse 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Okay, do you hear the flushing of a toilet in the background? That's what he's saying. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, that's a tongue sin, slanders, tongue sin. There are These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. How many of you wash before you eat? Hopefully, all of us. We had a friend over, and he was helping Gwen fix some food, and I came out and saw him messing with the food, and, and if you knew who this guy was, you'd know. I said, Tim, did you wash your hands? And he said, Gwen, did I not tell you that when Chris came out, he was going to ask me that? And I said, well, yeah, I do, because when I want you to wash your hands before you touch the food. But how many of us think about washing our mouth out? Well, we do with, with mouthwash. But what about washing and cleansing our hearts and our mouths? Because that's the true source of toxic talk. Turn back to chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12. 33, verse 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. 
You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? How can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasures, what is good. The evil man brings out his evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow, that's some serious stuff. Now add to that every Facebook status, every tweet, every text, every one, everything. You know, we're worried about Google knowing everything we say. God knows everything. And His servers never crash. And He, we will be held account. You will. I will. Here's the state of the heart via the tongue by uh, J.C. Ryle. Listen to what he says. Let it be a settled principle again in our religion that when a person's general conversation is ungodly, their heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that no one can know anything of the state of another's heart and that although people are living wickedly, they have got good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. Is the general tone of a person's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godless, or profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of their heart. When a person's tongue is extensively wrong, it is absurd, no less than unscriptural, to say that their heart is right. The tongue is neither friend or foe. It's merely the messenger that delivers the dictates of a desperately wicked heart. So here's what you want to remember. Our speech is the outward evidence of our inward condition. Our speech is the outward evidence of our inward condition. So every time we read tongue, think heart. This is why no one can really tame their tongue, because the problem's the heart, and the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it, much less change it? The Lord can do that. The Lord, God can detox your talk. That's good news, amen? So look at your neighbor and say, that is good news. Not just for you, but for me. Not just for you, but for me. Now say it. Now, no, I don't think anybody at this table said that. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go for the whole table. So here, let's look at it. So here, so there's the power. Okay, man, we we could spend weeks giving illustrations of the power of these five illustrations, right? We've all been there. We've all lived it. But what's the priority? Here's the priority. The priority of daily detox, which you could also call taming the tongue, is explained for us in verse 2. Are you ready? Here you go. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Yeah, get it, got it. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. So how are we doing? How are we doing according to God's standard? Let me give you the three requirements, the three priorities that you you have to have in place. Here's three priorities if you're going to daily detox your talk. Number one, measuring my spiritual maturity by the ultimate standard. The ultimate standard of uh, spiritual maturity is twofold. First and foremost, tongue control. Tongue control. The disciple who is never at fault in what he or she says. 
So that will humble you right there. Amen? Are you with me? Did I not, did I cut and paste or write in the wrong way? The priorities. Measuring, did I not put that right? Measuring my, by my spiritual maturity by ultimate standard. What did I put? What did I do? Okay, am I okay? Oh, okay. Okay, ultimate standard. Number two, tongue control. Con- tongue control. Or number one, I'm sorry, number one is tongue control. I-, I like this quote. Learning to speak in several different languages is not nearly as valuable as learning to keep your mouth shut in one. Okay, I like that. Listen, the ultimate standard of spiritual maturity is how you doing with your mouth. How you doing on tongue control. And tongue control is the evidence of, number two, self-control. If you can control your mouth, then you can control anything. You ever had illustrate, you know, you ever seen someone do something that's really hard, and what do you say? Man, if you can do that, you can, you can do anything. That's his argument here. If you can control the tongue, then you can control anything about your body. So, we can be real fit. We can be real buff spiritually in doing a lot of things. We could be a, we could be a great missionary. We could be a great pastor. We could be a great uh, a ministry leader here at our church. You could be a great parent. You could be a lot of great godly things. But if the mouth is where you falter, then you're not spiritually mature. Do you see why it says, be not many teachers? Because believe me, the more you talk, the more apt you are to sin. So self-control, the disciple who is able to keep his or her entire body. So you've got to measure your maturity, and that this is where humble... But it'll humble you, but why is that good? Because God gives what to the humble? God gives more grace to the humble. So let's just say, hey, you know what? I need help, so I look forward to this series. Number two, you must master the critical skill of taming your tongue. You must master, so the critical skill of spiritual maturity, the priority you need to focus on is taming your tongue or your texts or your tweets or your status updates. And then number three, maintaining the essential requirement, which is a heart surrendered to the Lord. Because you can't do this. I can't do this on our own. So I need to measure myself by the, the ultimate standard. I need to master the critical skill of tongue control. And then I need to maintain the essential requirement. Look what it says in your notes. Spiritual maturity is measured by a tame tongue due to a surrendered heart. So how mature are you today? Now, before you put everything away, just ask yourself, how mature are you today based on that standard? And if you need help, ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your Facebook friends. Okay, and how mature do you want to be? So let me let me this. I hope you picked up this handout. So here's what I want you to do this week: is look at your daily detox. Pick up one of these, and if you haven't, they're over there. Daily detox steps for taking the poison out of your toxic talk. So this is kind of a format of application that we're going to carry through throughout this series. So first of all, you got to pick your poison. Identify which kind of toxic talk you struggle with. And if you have to mark them all, that's okay. Okay? Talking too much. And there's different types under that. Talking dishonestly. 
talking harshly, talking proudly, talking crudely, talking flippantly. You see all these different types of speech sins that we're going to look at in the weeks ahead. So pick your poison, identify it, and remember God gives grace to the humble. So don't be be honest before the Lord. And let the Lord bring these sins to your mind. The Holy Spirit is there to do that. Second, check yourself in for rehab. Make controlling your toxic talk your top priority. And here's two things that we're going to have to do in the weeks to come. Surrender your heart to the Lord to be teachable. Here's a great psalm to remember. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, see the connection? Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What a great... Everything you need is right there in that verse. Okay? And then, submit your tongue to the Lord to be tamed, especially in those areas that you just identified. And Romans 6 teaches us, and, and this is something that I, that I, I, I frequently do. I, I should do every day, but I don't always. But I do do on a regular basis throughout my whole Christian life. And that is surrendering the different members of my body. In this case, the tongue. Lord, here's this two-ounce muscle of mucous membrane that I surrender to you, but more importantly, I surrender the use of it, my heart. I surrender it to you. And then you want to take your antitoxin. Renew your mind to transform your heart and tame your tongue. I've given you four great verses that throughout this series, if you would start beginning to meditate and memorize, you say, how do I do it? Repeat it five times. Five times in the morning, five times at night. Do that for five weeks. You'll be fine. Five weeks, repeat it, five times in the morning, five times at night. And let the Word of God begin to transform your heart. And in transforming your heart, it will transform our talk. Is that good? Do we all need this? Okay, now remember, the first place to start is don't worry about how other people are poisoning you with their talk. Let's work on, because here's the deal, you get hurt. And you get bitter, and then guess what? You have a bitter heart, and then guess what? Your talk now is poisonous. So you just focus on your own. I'll focus on mine, you focus on yours, and it will transform your family, our church, your workplace. Amen? Good stuff? Good stuff. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. And grace is not just forgiveness for past sins. It's power to stop sinning in the present and to avoid sin in the future. And When it comes to the tongue, Lord, we need your grace. And so I pray that we will humbly take some time to take this sheet. It's the size of a Bible. It can be slipped in our Bibles. And that we'll go before you and perhaps even talk with our loved ones and say, where can we lift up the standard of the talk and the texting in our lives? Where can we we understand that we're going to be held accountable for everything we say? But the Lord can change my heart and out of my mouth can come refreshment, encouragement, blessing, and power to live for God and power to influence people towards the gospel. Lord, help us to detox our talk. In Jesus' name, amen.